0: Hey buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy from the mighty Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And as of this recording, we have six Blu-rays now for sale, Um, and I have recorded a little commercial that will be playing in the podcast to save me from giving the sales pitch every episode so yeah if you want to pick up any of those six blu-rays contact me at desperatevisions at yahoo.com and i have a paypal page set up from that for that so and uh you can order them directly from me or from the manufacturer i'll send you the link and uh make and buying easy so there's that and as of this recording we have mondo sacramento 2 playing on tubi we have Lady Hyde playing on Tubi and Amazon Prime, and we have Emmanuel in Sin City playing on the streaming channel Reveal, R E V E E L. So that's a worldwide station. And uh, we have some on Momentu and a few other streaming channels. So we have three films on streaming and six films on Blu ray. Actually, six releases on Blu ray, 13 films total on Blu ray. So feel free to pick up those and support. Desperate Visions Productions, support the Franco Observer Podcast, and your host, Jason Rudy. So, all right, we are here today to talk about episode 144, film 159, Fall of the Eagles. Even though on the, uh, what is this, Full Moon Blu-ray, it has Night of the Eagles, and according to the book... Flowers of Perversion The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower there is no mention of Night of the Eagles just Fall of the Eagles and all the other titles so I'm not sure why they chose Night of instead of Fall of so interesting but so yeah originally I was going to call this Night of the Eagles but I'm going to go with Fall of the Eagles even though the uh, and it's not about Don Henley and Glenn Frey and, and that Eagles they of the, the, the Fall of those Eagles too but so but yeah, this is Fall of the Eagles. Um, this is the Euro scene production from Jess Franco, right after Faceless and uh, Dark Mission and uh, Countdown to Esmeralda Bay and all those other interesting films where he started doing some high production, low story films. But uh, here we go. So Fall of the Eagles, English language export title, France 1989. Original theatrical title and country of origin, La Chute des LGs, Fall the Eagles, French. Alternative titles, Una Question pour Berlin, Spanish video, A Song for Berlin. Uh, the shooting title is um, Lily, A Girl for the Soldiers, Lily Filet et Soldats. The other shooting title is Lily, A Song for Berlin, Lily, Une Chanson. Po Berlin. Uh the alternate shooting kind of title different sh- shooting titles. And the alternative shooting title is War Song. Uh title reported in variety was War Songs. Uh proposed export title reported in variety is lily, a song for Berlin. And let's see what else we got here. Uh Pa Orlu Czechoslovakian D V D Eagles Fall. Um and then uh Bra video. That must be the Brazilian video. Is uh, Mission Agua el Otomo ataque, Mission Eagles, the last attack. Production company of this, of course, is the Mighty Euro Scene out of Paris, Paris. Uh, theatrical distributor Le Film de la Astur. It says although Le Film de la Astur picked up the film for French theatrical distribution, it seemed they released it straight to video. Timeline shooting on this is uh, February of 1989. It had the Cannes Film Market screening May 18th of 1989. Wow, it's like three months after they shot it, and copyright was 1990. DVD running time converted from the Films de la Surpal DVD, uh, 87 minutes 53 seconds, and this full moon Blu-ray is. Eighty-five minutes, so it might just be the conversion time. Um, I haven't yet to watch this Blu-ray. I am going to watch it after I record this portion. Um, not sure if I am going to do a solo review or if I am going to have a guest or not. Still waiting back to see how that's going to work out. So, all right, the director, of course, no need to ask, but I will tell: Jess Franco, story, Marius Lesure as A.M. Frank, which of course we've heard that alias before adaptation jess franco yours freeland as george Friedland. screenplay marius lesur as am frank again jess franco as david cahoon and music daniel j white executive producer marius lesur assistant producer elona kunsova oh nice Uh, producer daniel lesur Artistic Director, Marius LeSueur as A.M. Frank. Director of Photography, Jean-Jacques Bouhan as J.J. Bouhan. Editor, Jess Franco as J.P. Johnson. Assistant Editor, John High. He's got a big cast on these. Uh, production Designer, Jill Barbara. Art Director, Set Director, Production Manager, Daniel Sewer as Dan Simon. I uh, think he's got a union unit production manager, he's got a first assistant director, he's got a second assistant director, wow, he's got a script supervisor, a still photographer, a sound engineer, a makeup hair supervisor, costume designer, assistant wardrobe, best boy electrical, electricians, he's got key grip and a dolly, he's got a best boy grip, wow, he's got a special effects produced by, effects crew, two people, dialogue coach, one, Daniel Grimm. A second unit director, Marius LeSueur. Second unit camera. He's got a second unit assistant director. Wow, this is like 18 films in Franco right here put together cast-wise. He's got a stunt coordinator. He's got stunt players. He's got vehicles, weapons advisor, property manager, a technical historical consultant, a transportation captain, a catering executive in charge of production, post-production supervisor, sound design, recordist mixer, he's got a sound effects recordist, two of them, he's got a fully artist, a ADR director, a post-production sound, uh, he's got, uh, let's see, songs, lyrics by Amadeus, nice, um, music composer, Daniel G. White, he's got uh, a couple different singers, color timer, pre-recorded footage supplied by, titles and opticals, and finally camera and lens provided by, wow, it's a huge cast, That's like the, like I said, it's about the cast of like 18 Franco films put together right there. That's crazy. I I mean, a crew, not even cast. Cast on this film, of course, is we have uh, old Dracula himself, Christopher Lee, as Walter Strauss. Uh, Ramon Estevez, of course, brother of Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, son of Martin Sheen, for his, I think it's second or third film now, for Franco, as Ramon Sheen plays Carl Holbach. Luke Skywalker himself Mark Hamill as Peter Frolock so this is cool you got Dracula and Luke Skywalker together in a movie Uh, Alexander Ehrlich as Lillian Lily Strauss Daniel Grimm as Harrison Grimm plays Captain Anton Carol Keeper not the Crypt Keeper but Carol Keeper plays Johanna Menz Craig Hill plays Major Holbeck Teresa Gimpera plays Lena Terry Valley as Rosa. Carlos Quiroga plays Dimitri. Lawrence Lemire plays Ingrid. Robert Ground plays Gestapo chief. The great Antonio Mayans plays Hans Grunigan, Not Hans Gruber, but Hans Grunigan. Uh, Jack Potin plays the awesomely named Rudy. Steph Anguilar plays Otto Hemming. Peter Cherie Metif plays the desert officer Jan Deschalets plays the American soldier Christine Ronson plays nurse and finally uncredited the great Daniel J. White plays pianist So, alright I will leave the synopsis part for the uh, review by me after the break so we'll go straight to the review by Stephen Thrower alright review Watched after such low points as Lesca, Les, La Esclava Blanca, that's not a bad film, or El Juete de Lulu*, Lulu's Asshole, Franco's expensive Eurochin production of the late 1980s comes as a blessed relief. Fall of the Eagles, however, is by far the weakest. A straight-faced soap dish drama about life in Nazi Germany played by a bizarre mixture of American... British, and Spanish stars. It's an unfortunate Euro-pudding production, chasing the coattails of a brand of cinema already on its way out. To make matters worse, no one involved in the making of the film has the faintest idea how to convey the enormity of the historic nightmare being depicted. As for the care and attention to detail that might have made this work, you swiftly get a feeling for what's to come as you try to make grammatical sense of the opening voiceover. The Nazi army, having crushed Poland, Adolf Hitler, triumphant dictator, is going to train his unrestrained bloodlust on the rest of Europe and the greatest slaughter in history. Hell let loose on earth by one man's mad ambition. And yes, that's verbatim. So what went wrong? Well, let's start with the fact that the story is told in English with no German actors and not even a German accent. Of course, it's all too easy for German-accented dialogue from non-German actors to descend into kitsch absurdity. We have ways of making you talk. But the alternative is just as appealing. Unappealing, excuse me. Decent German, decent Germans mark Skywalker Hamill... <laughs> and the Ramon Not Emilio Estevez, sound as wholesome and all American as you please, while rich Nazi sympathizer Christopher Lee is pure English gentleman's club, with a plum in his mouth throughout. Note that the Americans playing note that the Americans play the good Nazis, leaving the bad guy role to the Brit. Did no one involved recall that the British actually fought the Nazis? Falling, filling out the cast, there is an American born expat Spaghetti Western star, Craig Hill, a noted Spanish character actress, Teresa Gimpera, Hill's real life spouse, a handsome young Spaniard playing a Russian Parisian, Carlos Quiroga, previously seen in Falastia, and sundry other roles filled by minor French actors. Amid the plethora of accents and physiognomalities, physiognomies, Germans are conspicuous by their absence. Even obscure starlet Alexandria Ehrlich, who plays the pivotal role of Lily, sounds French. Faced with the inherent dramatic potential of the subject, Fall of the Eagles promptly marches off into the least promising direction, the war romance. Thus, what was arguably the most terrible and dramatic conflict of the 20th century is reduced to a backdrop for sentimentality. If the film were intent on causing shock and outrage like the tasteless nazi exploitation films that slithered out of Italy in the 1970s, it would still be preferable to this flavorless porridge skirting around the horrors for the sake of cheap schmaltz. The film wants to be a serious drama, but it lacks the balls to really go for it. Instead it offers platitudes about the horrors of war which attempts humanist profundity, but ends up sounding moronic. But Walter, no one wins wars, everyone loses protests one's sensitive soul when Walter Strauss, devoted admirer of the Reich, cheers the Nazi war effort. The script, credited to Marius Lesur, Jess Franco, and George Freeland, director of 1975's A Virgin in Saint-Tropez, has not the slightest notion of how to present the complexities of wartime, nor even of how to avoid necessary simplifications sounding stupid. I suppose that by showing a Russian partisan blowing blowing, blowing up a building full of Germans whom he has befriended, Franco tries to show, show the way that war demands actions of the oppressed that mirror the savagery of the oppressors. And in this, at least he succeeds. The rest, however, is just a would-be tear-jerker that treats the war as a setting for a lacrimose love triangle with some exciting rat tat gun battles thrown in for the boys. The final, solution is, the final solution is dealt with in one brief scene in which a Jewish barmaid is led away by a Gestapo officer. Get your coat and your bag, she's told. The script can't even get that right. Perhaps the ever-so-patient Gestapo officer could let her straighten her hair and makeup, too. Meanwhile, attempts at poignancy are undetermined by a total lack of grit. When a German officer with whom Strauss has played billiards throughout the film turns up in the games room with one arm missing... The moment is supposed to be heavy with emotion. Instead, I found myself giggling. If only Strauss had just blinked and said, Shall I break? Technically, Fall of the Eagles plays the game according to the mainstream rules of engagement. That's to say, it doesn't have any of the rough edges that we associate with Franco's cinema. It's meant to look like a proper drama, and it does. No one is going to cry foul here on the basis of a dodgy zoom or an out-of-focus handheld shot. There are scenes in which the photography is quite elegant, and Christopher Lee is giving a good, well-focused, and appropriately restrained performance. In fact, it's Christopher Lee who keeps you watching. If this turned up on some cable channel on a Sunday afternoon, and he had nothing else to do but nurse a hangover and watch TV, you'd end up enjoying his contribution. It's just a pity that with everyone trying to take things seriously, the script has nothing to offer but maudlin cliches. Music. The title theme, by the normally reliable Daniel White, is an ickily sweet travesty. To make matters worse, in what's supposed to be a class product, several atrocious bum notes can be heard on both piano and synthesizer. Yes, that's right, synthesizer. Like Franco's 1972 medieval witch-burning epic The Demons, with its waka-waka funk guitars, the music and Fall of the Eagles cares little for period vermesitude. Unlike The Demons, it doesn't feel like a gleeful collage of old and new, but more like a cost-cutting measure that no one's supposed to notice. And, if the film were not trying so hard to be respectable, it wouldn't matter so much that Daniel White sounds as though he's tickling the ivories after one too many brandies. As for Lily, her singing is supposed to raise the spirits of German war casualties, although to hear her charmless braying, you would think she was working for the British Secret Service. Wow. Locations Filmed in France, the Strauss residence, where much of the action takes place, is a chateau on the outskirts of Paris, previously seen hosting black magic ceremonies in Franco's Exorcism, 1974. Connections Like its most obvious influence, Fastbinder's Lily Marlene, 1981, Fall of the Eagles, sets out to emphasize the humanity of the German character's be they civilians or soldiers. Lily Marlene was hardly Fassbinder's finest hour, but I think it's fair to say that Franco fails to match its complexities. Footage of tanks and desert warfare is drawn, once again, from Alfredo Rizzo's I Gardini del Diavolo, 1971. In fact, it's the very same footage that was edited into Oasis of the Living Dead back in 1981. Snowy winter footage depicting German soldiers under Allied fire in a ruined house, along with sundry shots of Nazi trains and tanks, has been ported across from Eurochines. Train Special Pour SS, uh, by, directed by Alan Payette, 1977, and Convey de Feliz, director Perry Chevalier, 1978. Eurochain must have pilfered the title from the 1977 book The Fall of Eagles The Death of the Great European Dynasties by Sirius Leo Schulzberger II a historical volume detailing the gradual erosion of the houses of Habsburg Hohenzollern and Romanoff so alright that is Stephen Thrower's writings on this film so not too much actually, but that's good. So, all right. So that is the fall of slash night of the Eagles. So, uh, that wraps up that part of that. Um, let me hit a couple of the quick little plugs here. Uh, Of course, I mentioned the Blu-rays. Um, after the break, you'll hear the little advertisement that I recorded for the Blu-rays talking about them. And, uh, you'll hear that now on every episode instead of, uh, a new spiel each time. Uh, also, you heard we have Lady Hyde now on Tubi, Amazon Prime. We have Mondo Sacramento Two on Tubi. Please check those out, watch them, and support them. I appreciate it. Uh, of course, on the Franco Observer podcast homepage, the uh, red circle, we have a donation link. If you feel free to donate one time or reoccurring, I would sincerely appreciate it. Now we've had a hundred forty-four plus couple bonus episodes. All for free. So if you want to give back a little bit something on that, that'd be nice. Uh, also, subscribe. We got about another 20 episodes left or so of the run. And then after that, who knows? We'll see what's going on. It depends on uh, outpouring or if people wanted to keep going or something. You got to let me know. Let me know what you think. Uh, but yeah, you can subscribe. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, and about or 20 more of your favorite listening platforms. Uh, if you want to leave a review or rate the podcast positively, of course, please feel free to, uh, I know they don't talk about that as much anymore, but that always helps a lot. If you leave a positive review, it's good for the sponsors and good for the host uh, platforms, all that good stuff. Um, and the most important thing to me is tell a friend, if you like the podcast, if you like desperate visions, or if you want to just support desperate visions, Tell people about my films. Tell people about the podcast. Uh, the worst thing you can do is keep it to yourself. Uh, it's not a little secret. We want everybody to know about it. So tell everybody about Franco Observer Podcast. Tell everybody about Desperate Visions and about the Blu-rays I have for sale. Uh, if you want to support true independent cinema, not like these Hollywood independent deals where they say it's independent, but it's a $6, 7000000 million film, that's not independent. Real independence is somebody... That does all the work and spends the money themselves and writes and does all the stuff. That's true fucking independent cinema. Uh, If you want to get a hold of me, purchase DVDs, talk about the films, whatever you can at either FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com or DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. And of course we got Facebook page and Instagram page for the Franco Observer podcast or Desperate Visions. You can find us there and uh, learn all about the films, the Blu-rays. Take a look at them. Take a look at all the new stories we have, all the different Franco-inspired stuff, and all the stuff of my life and what's going on here at the uh, Desperate Visions compound. So, all right. Well, that wraps up that part. So hang out past the break, and you'll hear the little uh, brand-new advertisement for the Blu-rays, and you'll hear the my review of uh, Fall of the Eagles. Minus Glenn Fry, minus Timothy B. Schmidt, minus Don Henley, and everyone else. So, hang out. I'll talk to you soon. Buenas noches, maha. Buenas noches. Hi, this is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, And I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases. All new this year, 2023, from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me, as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel and Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime, Emmanuel and Sin City is on The Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels, and Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu, so please check those three titles out and tell others about them. On the Blu-ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated, and has the special feature of The Creative Process, of Volume 1, interview by Cameron Cloutier of Yours Truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions, Volume 1, we have the films Room 412, from 2007, The Last Road to Hell, from 2008, Chump Change, from 2010, and The Dirty ABC Rhyme, from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 2, we have, titled... Demon Dames, and Desperate Visions. We have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone, Le Femme de Monde from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation of... Um, of the past films and all that good stuff. Also, we have a late-night nudie-cutie cinema double feature, featuring two films, two nudie-cutie films from yours truly, uh, titled The Desires of Dawn and Jason Rudy's Mondo Visions. The Desires of Dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes, unrated. And Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p high-definition widescreen, and all discs are AVC-encoded and PCM-stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu-rays. Uh, the Desires of Dawn was previously on VHS, on uh, excuse me, on DVD. Monovisions uh, had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So yeah, brand new film. So check it out. And we also have, of course, Lady Hyde from twenty twenty two. It's unrated, runs 78 minutes, is 1920 by 1080p, full HD resolution, AVC encoded, PCM stereo, and that has the special features of audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy, theatrical trailer, and a Lady hide behind-the-scenes photo gallery. And uh, yeah, it's a good release. All these are region-free, by the way, so if you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region-free. And finally, the last two discs we have are "Emmanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut, and was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special featured audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally, uh, the sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes unrated special features, audio commentary recorded specifically for, I actually know it's the, um, the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with, uh, actress boots trader, who's in the Batgirl segment and actress Sondel G who is in the Ricky, the vampire of Sacramento segment. So we have, uh, and then of course with myself as well. So we have writer director and, uh, actor commentary on that, and then we have uh, a never-before-seen behind-the-scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool, nobody's ever seen that before, so that's a special feature on that, and a behind-the-scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012, and uh, yeah, so that's available, All six releases, which is 13 films total, are now released on Blu-ray, and they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films. If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. Uh, If you want to have information on that, you can always find me. And inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you could write me at Desperate Visions at Yahoo.com. That's Desperate Visions at Yahoo.com, which is the Desperate Visions Productions email address. Um, and if you want to purchase all six in one, swoop i will give you a discount and uh pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling so yeah please support fellow independent cinema and this is a one man operation so i sincerely appreciate your support so yeah once again emmanuel in sin city lady hyde mondo sacramento the late night nudie cutie cinema double feature and the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, disc, region-free, with lots of special features. So so pick them up today. DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you at the movies. I'm back with the review portion of episode 144, film 159. I'm going to call it Night of the Eagles, even though Stephen Thrower in the book, Flowers of Perversion, has it listed as Fall of the Eagles. The print I watched said Night of the Eagles, and the Blu-ray had it as Night of the Eagles. And on... um, Letterboxd. Oh, yeah, by the way, if you're on Letterboxd, uh, add me, the Franco Observer, Jason Rudy, on Letterboxd, and you'll see uh, my reviews of other films and all that good stuff. Anyway, they got it as Night of the Eagles, La Chute de Egalis. Even though it's Fall of the Eagles, that's weird. So, um, but yeah, so, I don't know. I'm going to call it Night of the Eagles because that's what I watched. I was going to have a friend come by and join me, my friend Joe, who's never been on the show before, but... Uh, He, Joe no showed No Show Joe. So it was just me on this one. So I'm glad I didn't announce him as being a guest reviewer on this. But um, for his sake, I'm kind of glad he didn't because of all the Franco films I've seen, this has to be like in the bottom five of uh, 144 now. Uh, It's not the worst because there's some good stuff about it. Really good production. Very lavish looking. Some good performances. Christopher Lee's good as usual. And uh, the lead gal actually does a good job. Um, What's her name? Uh, Alexandria Ehrlich as Lily Strauss. But, uh, yeah, it's, and it's got good locations, really nice budget. But, yeah, it just bored the hell out of me. I'm not a big war film guy, so that's a, already a negative in my favor. And um, a lot of the romance, war romance stuff, like English Patient stuff, just not not my bag, so... All right, I'm going to read you the synopsis first from Letterboxd and then the synopsis from Flowers of Perversion and uh, read some of the reviews from Letterboxd because I didn't really take a lot of notes on this because I was bored. I kind of wanted to turn it off, but, you know, i got to push through. So it's weird. This is the one-hour, 40-minute print, so like 100 minutes. They got it listed on the box as 88 minutes. Uh, Letterboxd has it as 85, but, uh, yeah, it's a 100-minute print, so I don't know if this is the extended version, but it could have been knocked down to 85, so. All right, Letterboxd says uh, their synopsis. In World War II Germany, two young men, one an ardent Nazi and the other a secret anti-Nazi, are in love with the same woman, the daughter of a wealthy banker. The two join the army and the young woman becomes a nightclub singer. Eventually, she joins the army, too, to entertain the troops, but circumstances soon result in her entire world being changed. Nice short to the point. Synopsis in Flowers of Perversion, Berlin. Lily is a singer, and her current boyfriend, Carl, is a pianist and composer. A Nazi officer friend, Peter Frohlich, adores Lily from a distance. Carl hates the Nazis, but he's conscripted and must go to war anyway. While he's away, Lily offers her services to the Reich as a singer, partially to get away from her stiff, old-fashioned father, Walter, who disapproves of her relationship with Carl. Carl is sent into combat in North Africa, where, when listening to Lily on the radio, he is injured during a mortar skirmish. Lily has a fling with Peter, and when he's mortally injured, she proposes marriage. The two are wed at Peter's bedside, but he dies just minutes later. On her way to the Eastern Front, Lillian and her friend Rosa and Ingrid are caught in Parisian gunfire. Anton, a Nazi captain and a secret homosexual, looks after them. Back in Berlin, Walter deliberately withholds Karl's letters from his daughter. On the Russian border, Lily and her friends stop off in a Russian tavern where they stay for a while and make friends with a young local man, Dmitri. Unbeknownst to the German visitors, Dmitri is a Par- Parisian. He plants a bomb, but saves Lily. Ingrid and Anton are blown up. Walter begins to see the reality of war when his old friend Major Halbeck arrives with one arm missing, blown off in the steadily worsening conflict. He turns to the local woman, an innkeeper for friendship, but she's exposed as a Jew and taken away by the Gestapo. Carl and Lily are reunited at the Eastern Front, and as 1945 turns to victory for the Allies make a run for it through the countryside where they encounter a friendly American soldier, but then a bullet whizzes through the trees. So, alright, I'm going to read a few reviews from uh, Letterboxd to kind of like uh, pat out this episode a little bit because it's a solo episode, of course, by me. And uh, if I just ran through what I had, it's probably going to be about 20 minutes, so let me go ahead and knock some of this out. There's a person I follow on Letterboxd by the name of Mark Tinta, and he always has really good reviews, so I'm going to read one of his. And he's got a couple paragraphs here, so so he has, yeah, Mark Tenta on litterboxed, uh, coming off the Colt Star Studded Gorefest Faceless after dabbling in hardcore porn for a while amidst unwatchable dreck like Revenge in the House of Usher. Spanish cult legend Jess Franco cranked out a couple of commercial projects for French exploitation outfit Eurocene. The drug cartel actioner Dark Mission with Christopher Lee and Christopher Mitchum and the Central American-set political thris- thriller Esmeralda Bay, which managed to nab the likes of Oscar winner George Kennedy and Robert Forster when they were at their career lows, which led to the fall of the Eagles. But it's actually nine of the Eagles. None of which ever received any kind of U.S. distribution, but when, but weren't too hard to find on the bootleg circuit. Just out on Blu-ray from Full Moon as Night of the Eagles because physical media is dead and it runs a hundred minutes compared to the eighty-five in the packaging and on IMDb. The 1989 Franco-Urseine obscurity Fall of the Eagles is a contrast. I'm sorry, is an earnest and generally serious World War II period drama that only feels like a Franco film in its scattered and inevitable moments of utter incompetence. Oh, that's mean. Set in Nazi Germany just before the downfall, Eagles manages to corral Franco semi-regular Christopher Lee and Ramon Estevez, then going by Ramon Sheen. Nice. Uh, The second of Martin Sheen's four children and the apparent Fredo Corleone of the Sheen-Estevez dynasty. But the real surprise is the presence of Mark Hamill, just six years removed from Return of the Jedi, and likely at the career low that led George Kennedy into the extended Franco-cinematic universe. Unlike a lot of these European cheapies, Eagles was recorded with mostly live sound, except for a few of the supporting actors. Ramon sounds exactly like his dad and his uncle, Joe Estevez, but he's a terrible actor and hasn't gotten much work outside of projects that didn't involve his dad or his siblings. Which is true, actually. I looked him up, and I'll go over that in a few minutes. Um, but uh, blah, blah, blah. Hamill, and especially top Build Lee, are putting forth considerable professional effort under these circumstances, but the real star is Alexandria Ehrlich as the cabaret singer-daughter of patriotic Hitler-loving German bank executive Christopher Lee, And she's caught in a love triangle between Hamill and Estevez, but both get sent off to battle. She follows suit, and Lee disapproves of her engagement to Estevez, and what results is a slowly paced and talky with intermittent Marlene Dietrich-style cabaret numbers by Ehrlich and badly integrated stock footage from old Italian macaroni combat movies from the early 70s every time there's a battle. Yeah, there's a few funny ones, and they're pretty funny. In true Franco fashion, the film stocks don't even match, and Eagle's characters get killed off by footage from completely different movies while it's all rather dry. It's at least watchable when the characters are talking, but Franco completely shits the bed with the explosive finale which cobbles together footage from about five different movies in rapid, completely mismatched succession. One of the supporting characters address let's see one of the supporting actresses. Having big 80s hair, that's... Um, uh, which one was that? That was uh, Ingrid. Um, like she's in a vixen tribute band is amusing, but what's... Yeah, there's a scene where she's firing machine guns, which is pretty funny. But what's here is so, dare I say, disciplined that it comes dangerously close to being Franco's version of something like a fast vendor's Lily Marlene or even a precursor to the English patient with all the swastika flags, gratuitous Heil Hitlering and the cabaret scenes, you know Frank was probably sh- sh- shaking and having a sweat-drenched panic attack, stifling his natural inclination to pervert up salon so kitty Nazi exploitation style and bust out the degradation, some sex with the circus freaks and some out-of-focus crotch zooms, but he never does. It's one of the most restrained films he's ever made. Fall of the Eagles isn't very good, but it's not without interest, and Christopher Lee and Mark Hamill complete should seek it out. And on the Franco Curve isn't very good, as almost high end. I don't know about that. Not Venus and Furs high end, but you get my point. You call it rarely, overtly awful, and take the victories where you can. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so back to Ramon Estevez. I looked. He has about 16 films on his uh, resume under litter boxed. Uh, he's in Dead Zone. He's in a film called The War, which is a Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez film. Uh, he's in That Was Then, This Is Now, which is Emilio Estevez. He's in Cadence, which is Charlie Sheen. He's in uh, Jeff Speakman film The Expert. He's in uh, Night of the Eagles, of course, Esmeralda Bay, uh, and The Custody of Strangers, which is Emilio Estevez film, and Beverly Hills Bratz, which is a Martin Sheen film. Uh tornado and he's in another Martin Sheen film called uh, A State of Emergency. So yeah, you get the drift. If it's one of his brothers or his dad, he's in it. So, uh, let's see. What else? Let me get one more review on here. Um, let me give a bad one. Here we go. This is by Kyle Faulkner. Uh, the Year of Franco number 129. Help. Soggy love triangle smeared against a backdrop of Nazi Germany and noodley since, Not even a dapper Mark Hamill or a cast-iron Christopher Lee can serve as a get-out coupons for this Sunday matinee abyss. It's a good call. Very much get the feeling Franco is overcompensating for his past failures and playing the straight card out of the plain gratitude for being offered leverage with Eurocene. Clearly in the trade, trade tradition of fast vendors, Lily Marlene, another reference there, a superior film, but one I'm not fond of anyways, Some vague attempt to restore dignity to the Germans in the middle of a conflict fails to surface due to apparent sheer disinterest. Hard cringe. He gives it one star. Yeah, out of one to five, I gave it like one and a half because of uh, the production value and everything. Uh, another guy says, for me, this is probably the worst just Franco movie. Being, te- being technically one of the best just makes the thing much, much worse. Um... Let's see, we let got one other person here. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's see, here we go, one and a half stars. Uh, uh, well, quite a bit, let's see. Franco's cheapest studio, Scene. This is by uh, John Charles. One and a half stars. Uh, reviewed about uh, six years ago. Franco's cheapest studio, Scene managed to build an effective business model making low budget copies of popular movies. But by the mid 80s, catch penny fare like Zombie Link was no longer cutting it. The company then tried to make their product much more presentable with somewhat bigger budgets, bigger names, and sync sound. If the idea was to increase overhead sales, I'm sorry, overseas sales, it's hard to imagine what they turned. why they turned to Jess Franco. Uh, while he had done some of his best early work for Eurocene, the Spanish cult legend was just coming off of a run of nearly unwatchable hardcore porn flicks in his native Spain. Uninterested in directing action or perhaps unable, Franco just goes with motions, delivering a product that will more or less cut together, but plods along and frequently shows its threadbare financing. Fall Eagles is largely a love triangle with pretty Alexander Ehrlich, lusted after by Mark Hamill and Ramon Estevez. That doesn't sound so bad in and of itself, but this is a World War II movie and the imported Americans are playing Nazis. Thankfully, no one in the picture attempts a German accent. It's true. Needless to say, both are miscast. Hamill is adequate, while Estevez looking like a weak-chinned version of Charlie Sheen and sounding remarkably like Martin Sheen is pretty awful. You know what? I, th- I thought he wasn't too bad, actually. Uh, Christopher Lee, on the other hand, gives a committed performance as Eric's stubbornly patriotic father who refuses to recognize the truth about his country. Yeah, Christopher Lee's actually really good in it. Uh, he isn't in many scenes, but easily walks away with the film. He's actually in a lot more than Mark Hamill. I wish Mark Hamill was in a little more. Uh, Eagles falls flat, and as drama and the action is a washout. In fact, the first battle consists almost entirely of stock shots from 1971's Heroes Without Glory footage Franco had already used in Oasis of the Zombies. There are some attractive and convincing practical locations, but that isn't much of a draw. As with Euro scenes, other forays into more mainstream work Fall of the Eagles never got a U.S. release, and the crummy Czech DVD I seems to be one of the only English version in circulation. Don't go out of your way That's what he says.. Uh, I already got him. Uh, let me do one other thing I thought was decent. Ryan says checked off one of checked off one of both my just Franco and Christopher Lee checklists, but at what cost to my sanity? feels like Franco attempt at mainstream drama, which is something I can imagine anyone being interested in. And the last one, Vile says, Mark Hamill's follow-up to Return of the Jedi, a less Franco, oh I'm sorry, a Jess Franco Nazi love triangle movie. The kind of film made for Tubi. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, there's there's uh, the little uh, letterbox deal there. Uh, overall review from them is 2.6 out of 5 on an average. There's 30 reviews. Um, yeah, it's got Christopher Lee, Mark Hamill, Ramon Estevez, um, Craig Hill, Course, everybody that's in it, Franco, and blah blah blah. So, there's that. All right, my notes on it. So, uh, Night of the Eagles, definitely. So, I'll make another Eagles joke here. I think my friend didn't we'll see it because he was mad that Joe Walsh, Timothy B. Schmidt, Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Don Felder, Randy Messner, or Bernie Linden, Linden was not in it. So, there's my Eagles joke. Yeah, I thought Night of the Eagles would at least be live at the Hollywood Bowl or. There's no stranger in town or nothing like that. So, yeah, there's that. Um, so, yeah, this film is uh, opens up with black and white footage and narration, which Stephen Thorr talked about. A lot of Hitler footage in the beginning, real life uh, World War II footage. Uh, the scene where the uh, lily sings to the patient reminded me of uh, the patients. looked like they were uh, leftovers from the uh, Franco-started film Angel of Death or Faceless. You know, he had some of these people with a lot of uh, scars and, and kind of like staring off in the distance and they look like patients out of those two films. Uh, the Nazi Club, Delito, uh we have Lily singing in. And those scenes of her reminded me of, uh, which nobody else mentioned, was uh, The Damned, 1969, by Lucio Visconti. Um, even the cover of that DVD or poster looks like a scene that Franco took that style from and used in this film. Um, also reminds me of a mix between The Damned and... Uh, like the winds of war is what i would say this film is a mix of um you already heard the mentioning of the old footage in the desert battle scenes which is pretty funny i totally recognize that from oasis of the dead and uh, other the original film um there's a uh, 34 minutes in there's a lovemaking scene which with uh, mark hamill and lillian and of course, there is no nudity in this just Franco film, which is funny. I thought, okay, well, here's a scene where we're going to show some nudity, but yeah, no nudity at all. Uh, pretty close though, but no. Uh, but one thing I liked there's was a nice transition scene of those two making love in bed, uh, and then it transitions to uh, Estevez in a sick bay hospital bed where he's recovering from his injuries. That was a nice transition shot from the two of them making love in bed, and then him being sick or being uh, messed up in, in the sick bay bed. Um, there was uh, 36 minutes in the dub was off so yeah they use a lot of live sound with Christopher Lee and stuff and other characters are dubbed there's a scene where Christopher Lee's talking to Lillian and he's dubbed over as he's walking and Lillian's talking but nothing's coming out of her mouth so they they took away her dialogue and then uh, it cuts back to the live sound again but it's interesting Christopher Lee's dubbed in that scene and then it's changed later um Yeah, the daughter talks to Lee, but no words come out of her mouth. Um, They mention the big hair on the female soldier, Ingrid. She looks like she's got the 80s teased up hair. They mention the Vixen tribute band, which is funny. Um, And uh, Anton was the gay soldier. uh, And they do a lot of interesting, like, um, put-downs of him, which I didn't really fit. But he's actually the sympathetic character in the film that tries to help the girls and, like, keeps them out of it and stuff, so keeps keeps them out of action, which is pretty good. Um also dubbed was the later lead bleh, was the char- the character of uh I want to say Lena Rome, but it's not her name was uh Lena Rome. Let's see where she at here. And actually I looked her up. She was in uh Jess Franco's Lucky the Lucky and also in Count Dracula. Um where Lena's at here. Uh bu- 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 I see I don't see her on the thing. Uh Lily Harrison Joanna Mintz. Oh there she is. Uh, Teresa Gimpera, yeah. So she plays Lena Rome, instead of Lena Rome, which I was laughing pretty close. Yeah, and actually Lena's not in the film. But um Antonio Anthony Mayans is as Hans Grunigan. He's a Nazi soldier. He's only in it for just like one scene, I think. Um what else have we got here? Uh Lena Rome, yeah, she's dubbed, which is pretty funny because Christopher Lee's live action, live sound, and then she's dubbed over, and you can tell it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, the dubbing doesn't fit her mouth movements. Um, I like, there's a nice snow shot where the horse, uh, a horse-drawn sled, when uh, Lillian's going to visit uh, Mark Hamill on his deathbed, and uh, I think it's Anton takes her to the uh, see him in the snow, and that's a really nice shot scene, kind of like something out of Dr. Shivago or something. Um, oh yeah, so uh, I want to say Estevez but yeah Ramon Estevez as Ramon Sheen a couple of scenes in the beginning where he's playing a piano and then toward the end where he's playing an organ and his hand movements do not look natural at all and there's scenes where they're supposed to be playing this song that plays all through the film that she sings that connects them and stuff together and his hands do not play in motion he's like his hands are still and the song's still playing it looks really, really funny um, like I mentioned this has good production. It's very lavish looking, I thought. Some some good performances. You know, Ramon wasn't bad. Mark Hamill was okay, he just wasn't in enough. Christopher Lee's really good. The Lillian um Alexandria Ehrlich as Lillian Lily Strauss is is good. Um her singing's a little whatever, you know. She's trying to be like Marlene Dietrich they mentioned, which is a good call. Really nice locations I thought in this. Um besides the stock footage, there's some good locations of uh Burnt out castles and uh, some of the battle areas are cool. There's a nice train sequence where it's a real train and everything, and, and the countryside and that. It looks good, and the budget I thought was 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 good. Definitely bigger than usual Franco stuff. Maybe it's a low budget film, but for a Franco film, it's definitely very extravagant. Um, which I mentioned a lot of footage mixed at the end, the last ten minutes is pretty funny because it's a couple different battle scenes from different films and. You can see, like, the lines and the coloring of the footage is different and just doesn't work really funny. Um, Oh, but one thing I noticed, there's a thing, uh, you know, of course, I have the Franco list. There's something that I like. I'm watching all these Italian 80s uh, exploitation films, and I have a thing on those films where every one of those films has a person that's caught on fire. So in this film, during the uh, explosions on the Nazis, one of the Nazis is set on fire and he's running around. So I was like, hey, there we go. There's a... pull over from my 80s Italian list of uh, it's not a real Italian exploitation 80s film if a guy is not set on fire so that's one on this one Uh, these really old black and white real footage from World War 2 at the end show a lot of the uh, surrendering of World War 2 and the blown out buildings and gunfire and battle and stuff um, at the end and then at the end you see Lillian becomes a singer for the US troops and she's like in her um garters and stockings and she has an american flag behind her instead of the nazi flag throughout the film so she kind of turns t- turns coats for the american side and uh, christopher lee sees her and he doesn't approve of her and he's like that's not my daughter and he takes off and stuff so one thing that's funny with this film it ends with a black screen no end credits no the end or nothing it's just after that he sees her he walks away she's sad about it and then just cuts and it's over it's like pretty funny like old old style Jess Franco where it just ends with nothing no the end or nothing just fucking it's over <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny um yeah so nothing too great I don't know like I said to me it was pretty boring I mean some people might like it uh I don't know what the crowd they're appealing for it is like a Sunday matinee film something like my grandparents might have watched or something or my great aunt or uncle so I don't know it's for Christopher Lee Completis. It's not a bad film, but it's to me it's not a Franco film. It's something that I would never watch if just Franco's name wasn't on it. So yeah, I don't know. Nothing too great on me. Like I said, I gave it one and a half stars out of five, so uh, and I gave it I I mean, I probably would have gave it like a half star I I would give it one star, but I added the extra half star on for the production value and how it looked and everything. So and you can tell by my voice I'm not very excited by this film because yesterday I saw the film Sue from 1977 uh, by Oyabashi and that had to be one of the fucking greatest films I've ever seen and it blew me away and I love that it came out in 1977 the same year as Aspiria and it has such magic to the film very few films can capture real magic on film and that film is just magic all the way through it's such a beautiful amazing film I saw it here in Sacramento at a Friends Theater, a micro-cinema called the Dreamland Cinema. They're here in Sacramento, California. If you're in the area, I highly recommend checking it out. It's a repertory theater. It's got about 23, 24 seats. Um, It's a small, intimate place, almost like a viewing room. They play a lot of cool rep films uh, here in June. This is their one-year anniversary. They're playing, like, uh, the fourth May. They're actually doing a Paul Paul Verhoeven uh, retrospective. Every month they focus on a director. This month is Paul Verhoeven. They're playing Fourth Man, Showgirls, Starship Troopers, and Basic Instinct. And then they're playing uh, Haosu by Nobuhiko Oyabashi, uh, which they're playing some of their re- their fan favorites from the first year of films that a lot of people liked. So they're playing Haosu again. They're replaying Mulholland Drive. They're replaying Paris' Burning and Son of the White Mare. Uh, they're playing... Um, They do mystery movies, and they're playing also this month Doom Generation, Virgin Suicide, Sleepaway Camp, Liquid Sky, Vegas in Space, Funeral Parade of Roses, and Midsummer. So, yeah, kind of gives you a little idea of what they do. Uh, They're really cool. If you're on uh, Instagram, check them out at the Dreamland Cinema, and you can find them at www.thedreamlandcinema.com, and tell them Jason Rudy sent you. So, yeah. I uh, highly recommend that cinema. I've been supporting them for the last year, um, and they're really good people, and they have a cool vision of what they do. They show a lot of good films. Still got to show a Jess Franco film, though. I've been pushing and pushing and pushing. If they show Jess Franco film, I'm going to get up there and introduce it and uh, do my part because, uh, you know, me, I support Jess Franco, and I support the Dreamland Cinema. So, All right, speaking of Jess Franco, let's knock out this Franco Observer Checklist. And this is going to be a really low one on this one because this is not really a Jess Franco film, but it is, you know. So this is a list that I go through every episode of 30 items that are reoccurring themes throughout his career. As I get to the end here of the last 18 or so episodes, I'm starting to see things kind of fall off by the wayside of the list. Some were more in the Dietrich era, some were all the way through, some come and go, but the list will remain the same, so... Here we go. Uh number one on the Franco Observer checklist, a body of water. Yeah, we have like rivers in here, no oceans really, just some rivers by the castle and some creeks and stuff, so you see that. Uh number two, sailboat. No, no sails at all in this film. No sailboats. To me, in Franco cinema, sailboats representing represent dreams, uh escapism, things like that. So there's nothing no dreams in this one. It's World War II Nazi Germany, so all the dreams have ended. Number three, boats. We have one rowboat at the end, which is going to be their escape. But unfortunately, Ramon Estevez and Lillian do not get their escape. So that's interesting because, like I talked about, uh, escape. And the rowboat would have been their way to escape. But unfortunately, they get snuffed at the end. Or he gets snuffed at the end where she lives. And she's a performer for the American side after that. Uh, Number four, palm trees. No, no palm trees at all in this, really, that I caught. A lot of trees, countryside and stuff, but no palms. Uh, Number five, jungle sound effects. No, a lot of dubbing, a lot of war sounds, but no jungle sounds. Uh, So number six, chained up person. No, nobody's chained up in a dungeon. Nobody's tied up or or chained up or nothing, nothing like that. So no chained up person. Uh, Number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping uh no, but yes, dance scenes on stage kinda she's in the lingerie, laying on a piano and singing, but she doesn't strip at all, so um yeah, not, not really. At number eight club scenes dancing at a bar, yeah, there's a bars in this, but club scenes in the very beginning, the opening sequence there's people dancing, kind of like uh Esmeralda Bay started off with a party of people dancing. This starts off the film the same way of uh people kind of dancing together, enjoying themselves number nine jazz music I'd say no because there's classical music there's waltzes there's ballads there's synthesizer and stuff but no traditional jazz in this Uh, number 10 excessive zooms no there's some slow zooms but no excessive zooming in and out Franco style which leads to number 11 out of focus shots no he doesn't get really close crotch shots nothing out of focus nothing uh, doing crazy uh, changing focus shots and being out out of focus so Number 12, mirror scenes. Yeah, there's a nice mirror scene at uh, 33 minutes in. I caught of uh, Mark Luke Skywalker Hamill uh, kissing Ingrid. Or I'm sorry, kissing um, Lily. Um, nice reflection shot off that. It's pretty cool, but very little There's a couple with Christopher Lee, nothing too major. But uh, yeah, I'd say that was the best mirror shot about 33 minutes in. Uh, number 13, mind control theme. Well... I say if patriotism is the mind control of this, if that's done because it's the uh cloudy thinking of war, so but there's no uh there's no mind control like somebody put under hypnosis or nothing like that, you know, well figuratively maybe, but uh let's see number fourteen magic tongue scenes, no nope, no lena, no magic tongue, fifteen red light, no nope, no red lights, no red light district, no prostitution, no cool red rooms, nothing with any red lights. 16. Sheepskin rug? No. Masturbation with a letter C item? No. Be a lot better if there was. Be a lot better if it was. Uh, 17. Mad scientist and servant? Nope. And no. 18. Fish tank shots? No. 19. Talking parrots or talking animals? Unfortunately, no. That would be cool if they had a talking parrot in this film, but that would have helped it a lot. Uh, 20. End credits? Yes or no? No. Like I mentioned before, it just cuts and it's just over, nothing Uh, 21 handwritten notes Um, there's letters that Christopher Lee reads from his daughter and stuff but no handwritten cheesy signs or nothing Uh, 22 spiral staircase shot, no 23 inept cops no there's inept soldiers but no inept cops 24 belly chains, no 25 kinks, no not really any kinks in this film, no sex really Uh, 26. Great headboards. No. 27. Fear or desire. I'd say both. There's desire of the Nazis to control the world. And of course, there's fear from the Jewish people and the British people and people that are fearing the Third Reich taking over. So that would be my fear and desire. But very minimal in this. Uh, 28. Acoustic guitar player. Yeah. At 66 minutes in, there's a scene where an acoustic guitar player and a mandolin and one other instrument are playing, so it's a nice scene there. Uh, 29, reading a book scene. No, just Christopher Lee reading letters from his daughter, which I mentioned earlier. That's the only scene of them reading. Uh, and finally, number 30, is there a pee scene? Anybody talking about having to go pee or seeing anybody going piss on the toilet, and that would be a negative. No, so... Those are the 30 items in the e. Franco Observer checklist, so there they are. Um, and as you heard before, wrapping up, I got six Blu rays now available for purchase. I got Mondo Sacramento, I got Lady Hyde, I got Manuel and Sin City, got a nudie cutie double feature of Desires of Dawn and Mondo Visions, and then, of course, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1 and Volume 2. So uh, we're looking at uh, 4, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13 films available on Blu-ray and six releases. So if you're interested in that, find me at the Franco Observer page on Instagram or Facebook or reach me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. And uh, you can pay through PayPal or order from the manufacturer. I'll send you the link and they'll ship it to you worldwide. So please support Desperate Visions. Please support me and you're supporting the Franco observer. If you liked the show over the last, uh, come up on three years, this October, uh, when it should wrap up, that'd be a good way to help support is doing that. So, all right. Well, it looks like this might be the end of the run for this episode. looks like we did a little over a half hour on the review. So that's cool. It'll take us to about an hour for the episode. So that's cool. I always try to give you at least an hour every week, maybe more. So hope you enjoyed this film. In this episode, uh, I don't know if you'll enjoy the film, but hopefully you enjoyed the episode, this low-key episode. Uh, "Night of the Eagles" slash "Fall of the Eagles" film one fifty nine, episode one forty four. This is Jason Rudy signing off. Buenos noches, maja. Buenos noches. Ah, not talking merit.